Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media, to make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, so last week, we spoke about the first communication gap topic. We said that last week, we said that kind of that, that first area is we've got to be able to see each other, to hear each other, right? So that we're not speaking past one another. When I said see each other, I'm not talking about physically just seeing each other. That's important, right? But we need to be able to feel and see the other person. We need to be prepared to come to them where they're at in order to be able to hear them so that we don't keep just talking past one another. And some of the things that you guys described today are reasons why people talk past each other, right? Sometimes we're not listening when the other person uh, is speaking. We're just formulating our own response to the first three words that they've said, and we haven't listened to the rest of what they've said. We might be constantly interrupting them. Uh, We might be mansplaining, who knows? Um, Someone, I think, in the other... Yeah, and the house is trying to get on here. But um, so anyway, those are all reasons why uh, people tend to talk past one another. Today we're going to be discussing patterns that destroy oneness or unity. Uh, if you've never read the book, this is a marriage book. Um, it's a marriage communication book, if you will. Uh, it's called A Lasting po- uh, Promise, A Pattern, A Lasting Promise. Uh, a Christian Guide to Fighting for Your Marriage. A Lasting Promise of Christian. Fantastic book. I think the principles in there are really helpful and important uh, when speaking about unity and oneness. They're uh, certainly applicable to marriage, but they're not exclusive to marriage, some of the, the principles that we're going to be talking about today. Now, when Maura and I were getting married, this book was recommended to us uh, and we kind of went through it, and I would encourage you at least the first four or five chapters. Uh, I went through it with, uh, with Maura. We had a lot of fun with it. There's some cute scenarios. We acted it out. We played, did role-playing, and then there's questions at the end, and we had fun with it. We discussed it, and uh, these were our fun dates that we went on while we were engaged. We'd go out to Barnes & Noble and get a Starbucks, and like, it was wild. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty intense, Yeah. I know, no, no, we were, we were out of control, but, um, you know, got to confess that. So uh, we had, we, we really enjoyed it. We learned a lot from that. And, and one of the, the things that kind of, I've pointed people back to that book repeatedly, uh, especially in marriage, but I think the patterns that we're going to discuss today uh, are things that can be helpful for us when we're trying to build relationship with other people, right? One of the things that that you'll hear people say sometimes is you can say anything you feel anytime you feel it because it's your feelings, right? As long as you feel it, no one can take away your feelings from you. And whereas no one can take away your feelings from you, that doesn't mean, I'm going to say this is false, you can't say anything you feel anytime you feel it just because you feel it, right? The words that we say matter, how we say them matter, and when we say certain things, especially in conflict, 
they can cause a lot of pain and hurt within friendships, marriages, family dynamics. So last week, you'll remember, we said that kind of our, our theological premise for this whole series is the idea that Christ himself, knowing that we didn't really know him, we didn't know God well, he sought to bridge the gap. He became incarnate. St. Athanasius tells us in his work on the incarnation that we were so lost on who God is that God took the step and he crossed the chasm, took our flesh, used what we could understand, our human nature, in order to communicate himself to us so that we could know him, right? So he came to us so that we could see him and so we wouldn't keep speaking past him, right? And him past us because we were missing things as he was trying to communicate to us and certainly we were pointing our messages, our prayers in the wrong direction and um, getting very confused in the process. So today we're going to be looking a little bit at that and the importance of if we understand that, that our relationships in the church it's about unity, right? St. Paul talks about unity over and over again. Jesus talks about that in John 17, where he says that they may be one, right? Just as you and I are one, right? So this need for unity, of course, marriage is an easy one, right? The two become one flesh. And so how do we maintain the sense of unity in marriage, in community, in our friendships? We've got to come back to the, the other principle that we're going to be going through every single week, which is our heart, words originate from our heart, so we need to set our heart on Christ because that's where our communication originates from, right? If our heart is full of anger and poison and envy and greed and adultery and fornication and all, right? If our hearts are in the wrong place, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 to 37, then what comes out will also be impacted, right? But if our hearts are full of grace and love then that's also going to help reshape how we communicate with others. Now, I do want to say that just like anything else, this is an act of synergy. Yes, God's grace is in our hearts. It's there. But we've got to really sometimes resist and struggle and practice, just like we do in our spiritual lives, right? We talk about this word ascesis or asceticism, where we need to practice and use our will to draw ourselves closer into fellowship with God's grace, right? The same goes for today. We're saying, God, fill my heart with your grace, with your spirit, with your love. Yes. And I know I need to labor because maybe I interrupt a lot when other people are speaking. Maybe I'm not listening when other people are speaking. Maybe I get really worked up and angry if someone disagrees with me. And so how do I short circuit those things? I need to labor within myself with the grace of God in order to be a more effective communicator. Now, here I'm not giving you a business like being a more effective communicator so that you can be a more um, successful person at work. But it's about if God, like we're creating the image of God, the word, right? So we want to be sure that we're able to be in relationship with God and with one another. And so this is so central to our relationship and community in our families, married life, with our kids, uh, and with our friendships. So, in the book, the author says, he describes how in marriage there's this thing called you and me, and within this thing called you and me, there's this other thing called us. So there's a larger circle, 
I know the, the, the slides aren't up there, so I'll kind of try to describe a little bit better, okay? So there's you and there's me, and within marriage, within marriage, there's this bigger circle bubble called us, right? And you and me doesn't cease to exist when it becomes within us. And the same happens, by the way, within a community, right? There's so many you's and me's within this larger bubble called us, or the body of Christ. And so if the purpose of marriage or the purpose of community is oneness or unity, and that's the goal that God has created us for, then that, or one of the, the, the objectives, the hopes is that we would be one in him with one another, then that's something worth working on. Now, there were some, some researchers at the University of, of Denver who spoke about how it is that communication deeply impacts this sense of unity, and they were looking specifically at two cases, marriage and corporations, right? Corporate work. And so they said there's certain patterns that destroy oneness or unity. And it's important to focus on those because what a lot of people were thinking at a certain time was, you know what, you should just work on building up the positive patterns, right? Forget about the negative stuff. The negative will just bring you down. It's just negative, right? But what we need to do is really focus on building up the positive. And what people found was, yes, we need to focus on building the positive, but if we don't deal with correcting some of those negatives, tweaking them, short-circuiting them, then no matter how much we build the positive, the negative will still be there to kind of derail us and take us off track. Are you guys with me? So there's going to be four patterns that we're going to look at specifically today, and it's all based on communication. Now, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Right? There is power in the words that we speak. There's power in how we say those words. And that power of communication can either bring us together or it can cause us to come uh, apart at the seams. Now, the four patterns that destroy oneness that the author lays out for us are... The, oh, you can't see them, right? Okay, the four patterns that destroy oneness uh, are... The first one is escalation. Escalation. We've all experienced a little bit of escalation in our lives, right? Where you're talking to someone and it starts off here and you don't know how, but it got up here real quick, right? It started off, you left the milk out. And then it went, well, you were supposed to put the milk away. And well, you always leave the milk out. And well, you're a slob just like your dad. And well, you're a whatever like your mom. And then uh, soon you're in like divorce court. And it's like, how did we start off? I forgot the milk out, right? But now it's, and oftentimes they're, they're nonsensical things. But this is how escalation works. Escalation works in that something down here is spoken and soon it gets up here, right? So that's escalation. It's a back and forth pattern of negativity. Um, and what is usually the goal in escalation, the immediate goal, is piercing the other person in order to protect yourself, right? You're feeling at risk, and so it escalates because someone has said something that maybe has hurt your ego, and you want to protect it, 
So you pierce back, and you pierce back. And it, the daggers turn into swords, turn into sledgehammers, turn into guns, turn into bombs, turn into, right? And it just escalates, right? We don't have to go too far to think about escalation that's happening all over the world these days. If you've been watching the news, you see how things can rapidly escalate what's happening right now in the Middle East. I mean, it is tragic what's going on. And that oftentimes can happen for us in relationships, right? Where maybe we might not lose our physical lives, but we can lose our relationships with one another. We can lose the sense of like unity with each other, right? So that's the first one, escalation. The second pattern that destroys oneness is invalidation. Invalidation. Let me put this in real quick. All right. So invalidation, um, I think you might have, I think you mentioned it, right? Validating the other person, letting them know that they've been heard, right? The other pattern that destroys, the second one that destroys oneness is invalidation. Sometimes invalidation is simply not hearing the other person, making sure that they're not seen and heard. It goes back a little bit to what we spoke about last week. Sometimes it's very subtle, and sometimes it's directly putting down the thoughts, feelings, or character of the other person. So one of the examples that, <laughs> that, that was used in the book, and it was, it was so like subtle, but I was like, wow, I do that. So... And it's so spiritual too. You're like, but this is like, this is what you should say in a moment like that. So the example was the wife comes home and she's really upset because she had her performance review at work. And her boss tore her apart. And her husband says to her, oh, well, you know what? It's okay, just leave it up to the Lord. And the wife says, but I'm really upset. And he says, and that's why you need to pray about it. And I got to tell you, when I first read that, this was, I mean, this was coming up on, this was 20 years ago, actually. We were reading this during engagement, okay? 20 years ago, when I, when I first read that, I was like, uh, I don't get it. What's the problem? And Maura had to explain to me this process of like the importance of validation, validating the other person, like what they're feeling, what they're going through, right? And, and I want to say that oftentimes women will speak about feeling invalidated, but I have heard it from just as many men feeling invalidated. Like you're, you're really frustrated about something or excited about something, and the other person just kind of shrugs it off, right? And that can make you feel really depleted, really upset. Okay, so that's the second pattern that destroys oneness or the sense of unity um, in community, right? Imagine we're in church and you, like, you walk in and you're really excited. You got a job. You're telling someone you got this job. They're like, uh, they're like oh, that's cool. And then they just kind of walk in the middle of your conversation, right? Sometimes it can be a little bit more subtle than that where like you can feel invalidated if... Like, people just walk, keep right, walking past one another, right? You feel kind of a sense of being unseen, unheard, right? Um, where you just, and I'm not saying like we can literally stop and talk to every single person, right? But if time after time after time you walk up to church and you're standing in church 
and literally everyone walks by you, it can be a very invalidating uh, feeling. Um, I know that's a bit more subtle, but anyway, that's the second one. So escalation, invalidation. The third one is negative interpretation. Okay? This happens with mind reading. Why the person is doing what they're doing. You know before they've spoken why they've done it. Right? Classic example. Husband brings roses home or brings chocolate home and wife says, what'd you do wrong? Right? Negative interpretation. Like mind reading is great when it's positive, right? Right? You show up, you cook dinner, or you know, you remember to put your shoes away or something, and your wife was like, Oh, you remembered our anniversary thing. You like, you didn't remember, but you know, like, yeah, oh yeah, it's positive when it's positive. But what happens when mind reading is negative? It's destructive, it tears people apart, right? So negative interpretation, trying to Perceive your percep when your perception is worse than reality. Okay, when your perception is worse than reality, it occurs when a person consistently believes that the motives of the other are more negative than is really the case. Think about the last time you had an argument with a friend or with a significant other, and the other person said, do you think I do this just to upset you? And the answer is, that's exactly why you do it, right? It's negative interpretation, right? It's, you have interpreted in your mind that they are doing this just to get under your skin, to irritate you, to upset you. The fourth pattern that destroys oneness is withdrawal and avoidance. This is kind of like our hide-and-seek game. Withdrawal and avoidance are different manifestations of a pattern in which one person shows an unwillingness to get into or stay with important discussions. So, one of the examples that the book shared out that I thought was like absolutely brilliant. Couple are trying to talk about finances at home. And every time, by the way, finances come up, the husband wants to withdraw. He doesn't want to have the conversation. And this last time, he picks a fight with her just so he can avoid having the discussion about finances, right? And the more, the, the book kind of explains, the more we withdraw and avoid, the more the other person does what? Pursues, Right? Why? Because there's a fear, there's an unsettlement that's happening there in the relationship, in the communication. If I feel every time we're going to discuss how you made me feel, the way you spoke to me, the way you treated me in public, right? Every time that comes up, if every time that comes up, well, now's not the time to discuss that. I don't feel like talking about it. Or uh, I've got to go, my mom's calling me, I've got to wash my hair, whatever it is, right? Whatever it may be, if whenever that comes up, one person withdraws, the other person feels unsettled because they feel like it's never going to be dealt with. And so these four patterns, I will tell you, counseling couples, pre-marriage and post-marriage, I'm not open, I'm not available. But when I counsel couples, okay, um, I see oftentimes it's one, two, three, sometimes all four of these patterns 
I, I will tell you, in the last couple months, I've sat with a number of couples, and uh, with at least a few of them, I had to tell them, let me tell you about this book real quick. And I'd go through the four patterns and say, by the way, what you just described to me was all four patterns in your relationship. And, um, and they said, wow, we didn't realize it. Yeah, so, so these things can be there, just not realizing they're subtle sometimes. Um, and I wasn't forcing these things. I was actually with one couple, I kind of laid them out and they looked at each other and they said, oh my goodness, we got work to do. I said, I got a good book, here you go. You know, go, 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 go read and work on it. So it's helpful to know these things, <clears throat> but knowing them and doing nothing with it doesn't really do a whole lot of help for us, a whole lot of good for us. So let's talk about what do we do with them? So we've got these four patterns that can impact our friendships, our community, our marriages, our relationship with our children. And so how do we deal with these patterns? What are some ways that we can short-circuit these, these patterns of conflict? The first one is to soften our tone. Soften your tone. Think about how much a gentle word is heard differently than when you're shouting. When a person is yelling and screaming and worked up, they're not heard very well. Some of you guys about this marriage conference that I went to, more and I went to a couple weeks ago. We were listening, or we were, we were there, and the speaker, one of the speakers, he said, try next time you're having something really difficult to communicate, to whisper it for more than 60 seconds. Speak in that tone. Speak in this volume right? Speaking this volume, because it'll keep perhaps a really intense conversation down here, okay? So softening our tone, James tells us if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Try simply softening a little bit. Bring down the intensity or the energy of what you're trying to communicate. Start with self, okay? That's number one. The second one, uh, and by the way, this is important that we, like, it, this works obviously effectively when both parties or all parties are on the same page. Usually what has to happen is one person will need to be the one to help short circuit because when it's up here, someone has to take the step to bring it down here. I've shared this story with you guys a number of times. First year of my marriage, Moore and I were having a really intense discussion we'll call it that we were not shouting we were not yelling but we were it was intense and i remember at one point like it's up here right and we're going back and forth and more at one point says let's stop and pray and i was like oh i should have been the one to say that but that was my pride right but she was right as soon as we stopped and prayed it came down here one person has to short circuit it one person has to be prepared say hold on can we just can we pause and do, you know, let's soften our tones. Let's just bring it down. I want to hear what you're saying. Let's just bring it down, okay? I realize I've been getting amped up. I need to soften a little bit, all right? Let's pause for a moment. Let's just pray for a minute. So that's one. The second one is acknowledge and validate. So, Amy, you said that, right, during the discussion section, right? Just simply acknowledging what the other person is saying does not mean you agree with them, Right? But you're simply acknowledging, I've heard 
what you're saying, okay? And I understand you're upset about this. There have been times in marriage where Maura has come home, she's really upset about something that happened at work. I don't agree with the reason why she's upset, but I'm like, I hear that you're really upset. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that like, this, this happened to you, right? Even if I don't agree that she should be upset about it. But acknowledging and validating allows her to know that she's been at least heard, right? And that this person who's her husband cares about her. This person who's her friend cares about her, okay? The third is try giving the benefit of the doubt. Understand, y'all, that we are on the same team. I say this to young couples. I say this to communities, to youth groups. You guys are one team. You're one, you are one church. You're one body. And give each other the benefit of the doubt. I can't tell you how many times people have had misunderstandings in church because of negative interpretation. That person looked at me funny. That person is definitely, every time I walk in, they turn and walk the other way. Maybe they've got bad, like, bowel issues. I don't know. Like, maybe that's go to the bathroom. Like, give them the benefit of the doubt. Ask them, hey, how you go up to them. Ask them, how are you doing? Is everything okay? Right? Give the person the benefit of the doubt and try to, like, bridge the gap. Okay? Sometimes if we have confirmation bias, you guys are familiar with confirmation bias? Confirmation bias says if I believe something about you, then I will find 50 different things to confirm the bias that I have about you. So if I think that you're a lazy person, then everything in your life will scream to me, lazy, 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 lazy. Oh, see, they showed up late. They're lazy, right? Maybe the person was sick this morning. Maybe they were like throwing up and they just pulled themselves out of bed to get here. Maybe they weren't lazy. Maybe they weren't feeling well, right? So Sometimes, like, we need to give each other the benefit of the doubt. Remember, you guys are on the same team. I say this to families. I want our church to understand this. We are one team. We're one body. And in our friendships as well. The fourth one, how do we short-circuit withdrawal and avoidance? Engage in dialogue. I think, Joy, you said it, which is, if man, sometimes what you need to do is you need a time to diffuse or you need a time to withdraw for a little bit, like you said five minutes, I would say like an hour maybe, if it's up here, right? Sometimes if there's like a difficult conversation that needs to be had rather than walking out saying, I'm not ready to talk about this. I've had people say to me, and this has been in families, like sometimes husbands and wives, sometimes parents with children, well, I don't want to talk about this. Well, when can we speak about this? I don't know. I don't know is a really uncomfortable thing, right? But if we agree to engage in dialogue, just give me 15 minutes. Give me an hour. It can't be give me three weeks. That doesn't work. That's not fair to the other person, right? That's not fair to the, the friendship. That's not fair to the marriage. That's not fair to your kids, that's not fair to your parents. That's not fair to your siblings, right? In agreeing that you're going to engage in dialogue is really a necessity if we want to maintain this sense of unity, okay? So those are some simple patterns that can help short-circuit or diffuse those conflicts. I'm going to give you one more important thing that I think is really key. And when you do this well, it can help tremendously. Uh, I'll just, let me put it up there. So the, it's the speaker listener technique. You've probably practiced that at work. If you've had a business class, 
Hopefully you've practiced it in your friendships, in your marriages. So a couple comes in. I said, share with me what's going on from your perspective. Husband starts going, talking. And I can see, by the way, the wife, her mind is turning. I said, tell me what the husband just said. Well, he did this. I said, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to know like what he did. Well, that's not true. He said, I said, I don't care what you think about what he said. Did you hear what he said? And she goes, no. I said, okay. Again, what did you say? And so she spoke, or he spoke. And so this time, she said, I said, are you ready? She goes, I'm ready. She said, well, what he said was that she started, without giving details, she started like one of the points, and then she went down a rabbit trail. And how, but he did, I said, no, 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 I don't care. You'll have your chance. What did he say? Just tell me what you heard him say. And then when she was finished, I said, did she hear you correctly? And he said, mostly. I said, what did she miss? And he said, he missed, she missed this. I said, what did you miss? She said, I missed this. I said, excellent. Does she understand? He said, yes, she understands. I said, excellent, go ahead. Why are we here from your perspective? And then I had him do the same thing. And guys, it's a really difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to listen when other people speak. But I can't tell you how important this is for rebuilding relationship, right? So the way this works is, the speaker always has the floor until they're done and then they pass the floor to the other person. And when the speaker's listening, what the listener's doing is they're listening. And when the speaker's done, the listener says, what I heard you say was. And the speaker says, yes, you heard me right. And then it's in that moment, the speaker has to release the floor. It's not an opportunity now for the speaker to keep talking, right? This is not a monologue, right? The speaker has to release the floor so that the listener now becomes the speaker. And there's a dialogue, there's an exchange. That's why it's called a speaker-listener technique, right? It's back and forth. Now, there's a few things that are up there. The, the rules for the speaker, speak for yourself, don't mind read. Right? You're not here saying, well, I think this, and I'm sure... He... No, no, no. Speak for yourself. Don't mind read. Keep statements brief. Don't go on and on. Because how's the... The other person's not going to be able to recite back a 15-page treatise, right? Keep it brief. Like if you are reading something, like a paragraph, Right? Hopefully you're not reading like, but hey, sometimes if you get worked up, you need to write down your thoughts. I had someone walk in one time, literally with four pages. They said, I'm just going to read this. I don't want to be interrupted. And I said, I can't promise that. I said, speak for 30 seconds at a time. Right? And then we had to go back and forth on this. Because it's not a monologue, right? There's a relationship that exists there. Stop to let the listener paraphrase. Make sure that they've heard. The, the, rule, uh, the listener paraphrases what they hear. They focus on the speaker's message, not rebutting. Well, I heard you say that I'm a slob, but really, no, I, I, you're saying that I'm a slob. 
That's what I'm hearing you tell me, right? Not, I'm not a slob, I'm tired, I'm this. Well, you're the, no, 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 just the other person needs to be heard. Even if it's uncomfortable for you, just let them be heard. Make sure, because that's, that's a huge part of the battle in these relationships, these friendships, is that two people don't feel heard from one another. And the rules for both. The speaker has the floor, the speaker keeps the floor, while the listener paraphrases, and the floor has to be shared. Someone sent me a beautiful quote this week from the book of Job, 21, verse 1 to 3. It says, then Job answered and said, he's speaking to his friends. Now, his friends have shown up. If you guys are are not familiar, Job has terrible friends, okay? Job has three friends. He's lost his health, his children, all his wealth, everything, okay? Everything's gone. And his friends show up and start saying, well, you and you and you and your bubble, and they're just going after him. Listen to what Job says. Listen carefully to my speech. Let this be your consolation. Bear with me that I may speak. And after I've spoken, keep mocking. Right? He's like, I just want to be heard, man. Just listen to me. And I can't tell you how much this is critical in relationship. Now, if you're... If your conversations are good, if your, your relations, your communication, you don't exemplify any of these four patterns, scrap this. Okay? But I'm sure at some point in your relationship, either with your spouse, your parents, your children, your friends, community members, coworkers, this shows up. And if it does, I would encourage you, the easiest place to start this is at home. And when Moore and I first did this, it felt really weird, okay? It felt very robotic. She would speak, and I would say, so what I hear you saying is, bum, 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 right? And then she would say, that's what I heard you say. And then we'd go back and forth. It felt really bizarre, but it was so important. And what the argument in the book is, don't try this when you're having an argument, right? Don't try the first time you're going to, shoot a three-pointer is in a game. You've got to practice, right? Practice. Get ready for the battle. And so I would encourage you, if you're looking like, we don't listen to each other, we get worked up real quick, we interpret each other negatively oftentimes, we draw and avoid, right? Practice this when things are like this, when things are calm, right? So that way it becomes a tool that you can bridge the relationship rather than kind of getting pulled further and further apart. All right, last slide here. I'm just going to mention them very quickly. The, four, the five grace-based communications, we said that we want to speak the truth, but speaking the truth has to be done with love. Number two is we want to be sure that we're affirming. We already mentioned affirming, right? But we want to be sure that our, our communication is affirmation-based, that it's affectionate, right? Affection can build another person. It can build bridges. We want our communication to be safe. People come back to places that are safe, right? People flee from places that are dangerous. And grace-based communication is gentle, okay? Guys, I believe it is so important for us in our community in our communities, that includes our marriages and our church here, that includes our relationship with our kids, I believe it's so important to have healthy communication. 
I will tell you at the core of every healthy relationship, I think there's healthy communication. And at the core of every broken relationship, there's broken patterns of communication. So I would encourage you not just think, oh, like, okay, fine. Like if I, and I would also encourage you to do the work, like read, pick up some books. I highly recommend those who are married, whether you are or thinking of marriage, if you're pre-marriage or you're married 20, 30 years, this book is a great book, A Lasting Promise. Okay? And you're going to hear a lot of what we've discussed today in that book. Um, so I, the, the author's name is Stanley, if you're looking for it. Um, but, but understand that these principles apply not just in our marriages, but if you've got kids, you guys will hear from my conversation with the youth group, because a couple weeks ago I asked the youth, I said, hey, we're getting ready to start a series on communication. Some of your parents are going to be there. What are some um, things that you think we should talk about? Right? The scripture talks about the importance of relationship. And so let's, let's do the work, guys. Let's do the work. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, to sanctify your heart, but be prepared to do the struggle on your side as well. Um, and I think it'll pay dividends in your relationships, here, not only here at church, but at home as well. All glory be to God forever. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.